The Quiet Carriage, a show dedicated to books and their authors on Main FM 94.9 with your host, Paul J. Laverty. Hello, listeners. My name is Paul J. Laverty, and welcome to another edition of The Quiet Carriage, 94.9 Main FM's book show. Later on, we'll have Carmel Bird back in the studio. On the eve of the launch of her new novel, Field of Poppies, she's coming back in to read us a short story she has chosen. But first, David Wish Wilson is a crime fiction writer with four crime novels to his name. In 2011, he was nominated, or rather shortlisted, for the Ned Kelly Award for Best First Fiction. And his new novel, True West, is out now via Fremantle Press. About the book, Western Australia, 1988. After betraying the Knight's bikey gang, 17-year-old Lee Southern flees to the city with nothing left to lose. Working as a rogue tow truck driver in Perth, he is captured by right-wing extremists whose combination of seduction and blackmail keeps him on the wrong side of the law and under their control. As the true nature of what drives drives his captors unfolds, Lee becomes an unwilling participant in a breathtakingly ambitious plot and a cold-blooded crime that will show just how much he and everyone else still has to lose. And about the author, David Wish Wilson was born in Newcastle, New South Wales, but grew up in Singapore, Victoria and Western Australia. He left Australia, aged 18, to live for a decade in Europe, Africa and Asia, where he worked as a barman, actor, street seller, petty criminal, labourer, exterminator, factory worker, gardener, clerk, travel agent, teacher and a drug trial guinea pig. He now lives in Fremantle and coordinates the creative writing programme at Curtin University. And now all the way from Western Australia, we have David Wish Wilson on the phone. David Thanks so much for joining The Quiet Carriage. Thanks, great to be here. What an incredible novel True West is. Um, I, I find it quite cinematic in its scope. Um, it had me thinking of uh, you know, Sons of Anarchy, Breaking Bad. It also reminded me a bit of the work of the director, you know, Jeff Nichols, who directed Mud and Midnight Special oh, yeah, yeah. recently. Yeah, um, it's, it's very violent. It's also got a lot of dark themes, such as white supremacy. And I would read it about an hour before I went to bed and have these pretty harrowing dreams about all these little Im- imagined subplots. And I've, I've always wanted to ask a crime writer this. How difficult is it to come up with a story like this and also, you know, you're a family man, live with these characters inside your head for presumably a year or perhaps even more? Um, I guess it's, uh, and I think most crime writers will will tell you some kind of story about how they uh, came to crime writing. You know why that exerted a particular fascination for mm-hmm. them. My, my own my own story, in the, in a nutshell, is when I was a younger man in my late teens and early twenties. I lived in East Africa, where I, I was pretty much marooned. I ran out of money. I had to find a way to kind of pay my day to day, basically food and beer and I just I was just right. I, I just tried to survive for a couple of years and that involved 
living on the black market really that was that was a niche as a as a white foreigner i could um i could work with um and i ended up living in what was then one of africa's biggest slums a place called mathara valley and my girlfriend was a working prostitute and i was into in all kinds of intoxicants and it was a pretty crazy time wow and the people the people i lived among were fantastic people you know they were they were strong they were dignified they were they were trying their best in really trying circumstances but on the streets around them and us were there was a lot of violence so mm-hmm. i i saw a lot of and a lot of it was state violence it was violence um perpetrated by the police and the army so i saw a lot of executions i saw a lot yeah. of murders i saw people killed with machetes guns knives fire um and because that was my life then, I didn't really think too much about it. But when I when I left the place, and I probably started to suffer a little bit of PTSD, right. I started thinking started thinking about the moral questions behind that. You know, how, how it had become so normalised for me, despite mm-hmm. you know my upbringing being quite different. Um, so you know, I hit as a as a bookish kind of person, I hit the books and I investigated the philosophies of Hannah Arendt and Tibetan Todorov. And I was really in search of a question about, you know, where does goodness exist? Is mm-hmm. it just dependent upon our, how full our stomachs are and, and all of that kind of thing? So that led me to crime fiction. So in answer to your question, mm-hmm. I, I have a little bit of a, a strange layer of insulation between me and some, the subject matter in my novels because, you know, the, I, I hope the violence in the novels isn't gratuitous. It's always there to no, serve a purpose. No. yeah. But it's it's never it's never going to be as harrowing for me to live with my characters as it was to have seen the real thing, I guess, mm-hmm. um, to, to put it simply. So that, I, that that would be my answer to the question. No, that's a great answer. Yeah, the book is based loosely around the white supremacy movement in the late eighties. It's fiction, but the backdrop is a lot of true events that happened. You know. Um, sort of debate about Asian immigration, um, Jack von Tongren and the right movement. Now, we've seen a rekindling of that recently via, you know, former Senator uh, Fraser Anning um, and the, the Stop the Mosques movement. Why not set the book today? What would attracted you to the late 80s? Yeah, I, um, I, I did it for a pretty, pretty specific reason. I, I think a lot of the messaging around white nationalist movements um, neo-Nazi movements is mm-hmm. is a lot more dangerous now because they've tried, you know, speaking generally, they've tried to make the message more palatable. They've taken some Australian symbols such as the Eureka flag mm. and made them their own. Um, because of social media, you can you can be radicalised in an online community. I wanted to go back to a time when, before social media, before before the internet. Uh, and look at a pretty specific time in Perth history um, when these people were quite effective in terms, despite the crudeness of their um, propaganda methods. You know, there was, I think, something like a quarter of a million posters and leaflets distributed around yeah. the Perth area. Uh, there were posters literally everywhere. They got a little bit of radio time. They ran for elections. They really tried, they tried to lure ex-servicemen and some in quite senior positions to, to broaden their movement. Uh, so essentially, I wanted to look at a time when things were much more open and overt, um, mm. and uh, if a little bit crude at the same time. Right, right. 
So yeah, like I said. I mean, I think yeah. Mm-hmm. Go yeah, ahead. Go and uh, you know, I think you know the, the the idea is that those things still resonate today. Obviously, um, it was around. It was just before the time that Pauline Hanson emerged as well as a political figure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's you know it's no co- no coincidence she came from Queensland. There was the same kind of demographic mm. here in Western Australia. Uh, these were people who had always felt like they belonged to a broader Australian community. You know, staunchly monarchist, white Australia, all of that kind of thing. But I think because of neoliberal economics globalisation, they became marginalised and largely unimportant in the broader political landscape until, and this, that's what this, you know, these people I've based this novel on, um, you know, were mm-hmm. arguing for a greater degree of prominence using violence and intimidation mm-hmm. to foreground themselves um, until someone like Pauline Hanson did come along and, and, and make it a, you know, a political issue as well. Mm. Um, it's set in Western Australia in 1988, and this resonated for me on a personal level, as uh, my family actually emigrated to Australia in 1991. And and you describe it so well, and you really brought the brought the past alive for me. Um, R and I Bank, um, and those pre freeway days in the northern suburbs. How much yeah. do you think Perth, and um, maybe we can take that further and say Australia has changed in the last three decades? Yeah, I, I think in, you know the the, the 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 obvious answer is it's some things have changed a lot and some things have changed very little. I think for the people I'm writing about in that story, the people in the in the you know they were neo-Nazi movement, Jack Van Tongren movement, and as is as is the party that uh, is represented in my novel. Mm-hmm. For those for those people, I, you know they. I don't think a great deal has changed. Uh, you know, their grievances are still very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, they still feel marginalised. They still feel like their voices are not being heard. But of course, society has changed e- enormously around them. Mm-hmm. But those, those 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 grudges, those grievances, have been nursed for decades and decades and decades now, and they're, they're still held pretty tightly. And we do see it, as you say, with with a, 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 someone like Fraser Anning coming along. Um, Trying to make it more, you know, make it a more mainstream message. So yeah, I think a lot, a lot of things have changed. I quite like writing about that particular period because things were a little bit more out in the open, um, mm-hmm. you know, vis-a-vis policing methods and and the way criminals used to operate. And certainly with an organisation like that, if they wanted to be noticed, they had to literally try and take the streets. Yeah, they couldn't operate sitting behind the keyboard. Um, they had to be down there at the train stations with their loudspeakers and all of that kind of thing. Yeah. So that, that's, that, that, that makes my job as a fiction writer a little bit easier too. Yeah, yeah. It, things did seem a bit more colourful back then, particularly in Western Australia, the America's Cup, um, Alan Bond, Laurie Connell, the, the Perth Mint Swindle. Um, do you think it's a blander place today than it was in the 80s? Uh, I, I think, well, the, the 80s, are, yeah, so all of those... All of those things you mentioned, with the exception of the America's Cup, are significant because those kinds of things had always been, you know, the, the shifting, the corporate shiftiness that someone like Alan Bond characterised, and the kind of crimes that, um, you know, the, the Perth mint, um, mint swindle um, made clear had always been going on in Western Australia. It's just that because Western Australia, or because Perth was such an isolated place um, in terms of distance and a little bit culturally, 
things had always been able to be done almost paradoxically more out in the open, but, mm. but silences could be enforced around certain things. So lots of people would know about, there, there have always been gold swindles going on in Western Australia. There's always been corporate skullduggery. Uh, it's just that in the 80s, some of the, some of the shackles, um, some of the people who used to control these kinds of things started losing their power mm-hmm. and things burst into the open, um, like you say, quite colourfully for a short period yeah. of time. And I suspect then just drifted back into the background. I, don't, I, I really don't think things are too much different now. It's just that, you know, they're, they're not foregrounded. They're not being, you know, they're not being discovered because people are, people are cautious and people are careful, particularly, of course, people involved in, in uh, organised crime and corporate fraud and that kind of thing.
That was Iggy Pop there with his song Love's Missing from his album from this year called Free. And now we return to my interview with author David Wish Wilson. You're from Newcastle, New South Wales originally. Uh, You've lived in Victoria, Singapore, Europe and also Africa as we mentioned. Now I know you've written about places such as 19th century San Francisco in your last novel The Coves. Um, Apart from living in Western Australia, what, what's the pull for you creatively as a writer about writing, writing using Perth as a background? Uh, well, yeah, so I mean, I, I, I love the place um, a great deal. I've, I've lived in lots of different places and, you know, I very deliberately, I, you know, I was privileged enough in my late 20s, we, we were living in Tokyo. Right. I was, I was working as a bartender, you know, I... I I could have moved anywhere I wanted in the in the world. I suppose I had saved a little bit of money, um, but you know, I just I, there's something about uh, Western Australia. I lived for a, uh, when I was a child up in the northwest in the Pilbara, mm-hmm. and there's something about the big sky and the fierce light, and it, it's it's just a place that has got under my skin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know, it's my home. It's where the people I love live. Uh, as far as it goes in fiction, that that when you're writing about a place like Perth that isn't very well known, mm-hmm. uh, that represents certain challenges. So um, you need to, you can still count pretty much on two or three hands uh, the number of uh, novels set in in Perth, which is odd yeah. considering it's a city moving towards a population of about two and a half million. Mm-hmm. But if you are going to write about Perth, but the majority of your readers are in Melbourne or Sydney or Auckland or or, or, or somewhere else, you, you need to kind of make the city itself a character. So you need, need to work a little bit harder mm-hmm. to foreground the you know what you might call a sense of place, I suppose. Yep. And so that's that's something I, I, I consciously think about. And also, you know, I, I like I like writing about the place. It, it, it's yep. like every city; it's got its own specific history, yep. with its own specific way of being in the world as well. Yeah, yeah. How do you think it differs from the rest of Australia, other Australian cities? I think, um, well, there, there, there are pro- probably a number of things. Uh, in the kinds of things I write about, uh, you, you would keep, particularly my crime novels, um, you, you keep coming back to a couple of things. And one is the fact that because it was a long way from everywhere else and there wasn't a lot of monitoring going on, people in the police service and politicians, they could pretty much, they could pretty much do what they wanted. Mm. Um, and that, that sounds terrible, but it wasn't always a bad thing. So you, you had some quite pragmatic policies vis-a-vis um, 
things like vice and gambling happening in Perth. Like, you know, there was a long history of a containment system where brothels were legal and so was gambling. Um, there, there was this, this idea that you, you know you could do these kinds of things because no one over east really knew or cared, mm-hmm. and that led to that led to pretty specific police practice. It led to its own kind of problems, of course, police corruption mm-hmm. and enforced violence and all of that kind of thing. But yeah, there were there, there were a lot of silences around certain things in Western Australia that I think are interesting for a writer because. Uh, and a, a lot of them were bad as well. There was the assimilation policy that was perpetrated on our indigenous population mm-hmm. for a very long period of time. And, and in my crime fiction, I guess um, I'm kind of guided in terms of process by um, the work of my friend and colleague Kim Scott. You know, where he, he's writing about uh, indigenous issues, but mm-hmm. he's he's also bringing out into the light some of those stories where there was a great deal of silence around them because you couldn't really talk about them because Perth was so far away. And I kind of use that same process. There are a lot of things over many decades that just couldn't be said because Perth was a a long way from everywhere else. And if you did, you were known to people immediately. You were immediately visible. Mm -hmm. Um, And the only way you could get away from that was to move a a very long distance away. So... Um, that presented its own set of problems, and that's the kind of thing I try and draw out in my crime fiction. The silences around certain things associated with organised crime, political corruption, corporate corruption, all of those kinds. That's pretty, pretty much the nexus that I like to work in. Right, right. Um, in terms of True West and its political backdrop, um, we, we've seen a lurch to the right politically recently and the, the rise of, let's call them fascist fringe groups. I was just wondering, what's your outlook for the nation's future, both short-term and long-term? It's a big question. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's, 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 an, it, it's, it's something I've thought a lot about. Okay, um, you know, having kids and, yeah. uh, you know, leaving aside horrific things like climate change. Yeah. Yeah, I, so I wax and wane between optimism and pessimism. Mm. I think this, this right-wing rump of disaffected people prone to um, being radicalised. I think they have always been there to some extent right throughout the 20th century. Yep. But I think they did feel integrated for a long period of time. Um, the danger has always been, and I, I think if you look at Western history, European history, Australian history, um, the danger has always been in times of you know, uncertainty, in times of economic strife, the charismatic leader with a simple message repeated ad infinitum, um, even if it's manifestly false. People are drawn to that to, mm. to that degree of certainty. So it's it's sad to see the rise of populist politics, uh, uh, you know, on on all sides of politics, um, raising its head again. The you know the, the deterioration of political debate, the you know the the problems with journalistic um, freedom. Mm. These things, these things, I think, represent significant challenges down the track. Um, I think the true test of our society, though, is you know, it's going to it's going to continue drifting along as long as people are well fed, as long as people are making their mortgage payments, etc. Yeah. The real test is going to be when you know things really turn to shit and uh, people do start looking around for someone to blame and for someone, and that's that's when the, the, the genuine populists are going to pop up. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. all, o- all over the place. So, I, I mean, I, th- I think our institutions, having lived in many different countries around the world, I think our institutions are really strong. Yeah. It's just that you know, we, we, we really need to... Um, it's something I tell my students a lot. You know, we, we, things like press freedom, uh, they're just hugely important. Yep. To, uh, to to support our institutions of law and order. Otherwise, yeah, we're going to be in a great deal of trouble like so many other places are. Yeah, yeah. Um, with True West, it, it's a very a deep novel with a lot of scope there, particularly with the, the main character, Lee. Do, do you see more of these books? Can you see this being part, uh, having a sequel, being part of a trilogy? Yeah, I'm thinking about, say, I'm, I'm thinking about Lee Southern as a character. It was originally mm. a one-off story and... It was something that particular period and that particular group of group of thugs. I've been thinking about them for a long mm. period of time, but also stylistically for me, that you know, that True West is a bridge between that novel you mentioned, The Cove, set in mm-hmm. 1849, where the language is a lot more fluid, um, mellifluous, um, and the, the the my Frank Frank Swan crime series, where the language is more sparse. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a bridge. It was, you know, it was a bridge between the two styles, I guess. Yeah. But I did get to know, I did, I did get to like uh, Lee Southern as a character. He's, he's my classic crime fiction character. I mean, I'm, I'm driven, I suppose, to explore psychologically how people operate in extreme circumstances. And so, you know, he's a character in mortal and moral peril, like so many of my characters are. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking about him. Um, for a potential future work, he, you know, he, he, I imagine he'll be out of that world uh, completely. But yep. yeah, there's, I think, there's, I think there's scope. I think there's, uh, as a character, he has some, he has some legs. I hope. Yeah, I, I find myself wondering what they'd all be up to now. That's why I was asking. So, well, in, in 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 my in my head at the moment, he's he's um, studying mm-hmm. um, because he's 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 always a bookish kid. He's one of these characters who had a tough. Um, upbringing, but in a different context, he might have been someone completely different. But working as a working as a doorman in a Perth nightclub, yeah. I haven't really got very far with the plot. I tend not to plot. Mm-hmm. I tend to just start with a character in a circumstance and then just see what happens yeah. from that. So that's that's what he's doing now, I guess. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah.
We've got the sun, the sun to thank. We got the sun, the sun to thank. That was Laura Viers with Sunsong. And here is the final part of my interview with David Wish Wilson as he talks about his novel, True West. Australian crime noir really seems to travel well overseas, both on the page and on the screen. I mean, I don't think we're quite at the level of the Danes, but we definitely punch our weight. I'm thinking The Dry, Animal Kingdom, Mystery Road, Jack Irish, Wolf Creek. Why do you think this is? Is it to do with our convict convict past? Do you think that we we do this so well? Yeah, well, I I, I think so. That's 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 a good question. It's something that's not often recognised. Although some scholars, have, such as Stephen Knight, have written about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think of True West in a sense as a as a as a an Australian crime story mm-hmm. set in 1988, but really it's building on the tradition of 19th century Australian crime fiction, where you have an every man, every woman. Protagonists, there's zero to zero detection going on in the story. It's not a police procedural. Um, it explores social conditions at the time, um, whether forces of law and order are represented there. Often, you know, represented unflatteringly. It's a, it's a, it's kind of a long tradition in Australia. I mean, Knight and some others have written about. Uh, some of the some of the nineteenth century Australian crime writers and how overseas people like um, Conan Doyle admired them, and yet they, they Conan Doyle was quite intensely worried because often the, the central character was a criminal or, or was deviant in some kind of way, which wasn't really happening in America or in Britain at the time. Right. So there's there's kind of a long tradition there, and so and I think you know, the, the, these stories that have been coming out. Australian crime fiction, as you say, is I think fair to say going through a bit of a bit of a boom period. Definitely. And I, I know in places where it's got a huge readership in Germany, um, for example, where the setting is exotic, but also yeah, this idea that um, you know the, the main characters are not always this, this stereotypical you know wounded police character. <laughs> um, it's not about necessarily. Puzzle-solving narratives. It's about exploring social conditions, social mores. Um, it's, so, it's looking behind the veils of individual psychology, psychology, but also look, it looks at uh, how crime is a structural issue. Really, mm-hmm. looks at how it relates to our institutions and our political institutions as well. 
So yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I think there is a fair bit of, uh, of that behind the interest mm-hmm. um, that currently being shown overseas, and long may it last. Yeah, of course. I spoke recently to Turn Left at Venus author Inez Baronet, and her job is she also lectures in Australian studies. And she she said to me that uh, that teaching creative writing would be a bit of a drain on her. She felt. How do you find it teaching writing and also being a writer? Yeah, well, I um, I find it works for me. It's not it's not going to work for everyone. Um, in a sense, you know, you know, in a sense, it's a job. It, it 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 pays my bills, and I have bills to pay. I I, I couldn't I couldn't support myself as a writer mm-hmm. at the moment. I couldn't support my family. Mm-hmm. I could probably support myself, but you know, I started off teaching writing in the prison system here in Western Australia. That was that was interesting. I learned a lot, and I think that is something that has continued now that I'm teaching undergraduate supervising doctoral students mm-hmm. i get i get a lot out of it as well i mean every time i teach i'm, I'm reminded of, of you know some fictional truths because i i find writing fiction is, is such an intuitive process so it doesn't hurt yeah. for me to be reminded um some of the structural things that associated with writing but you know, i really like my students um i get a lot out of it and i can see the advantage because i'm I was, uh, I'm a self-taught writer. Um, I taught myself to write right. stories while I was traveling around overseas. I didn't actually know any other writers. And that's not a bad way to learn. I learned by reading. Um, but it, it, it makes the, you know, what is already quite a long apprenticeship, mm-hmm. um, for an emerging writer, it makes it probably even longer. So I can see the advantage of studying creative writing as well because, a, you find a, a group of peers, people who are equally as weird as yourself, uh, who share the same kind of interests. You develop, you create a little bit of a network around yourself. And also you learn very quickly where your strengths and weaknesses lie, which is something a self-taught writer doesn't necessarily have. Yeah. And I, 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 that's always reinforced to me as well when I'm, when I'm teaching. I mean, yeah. there are certain things about the job that no one likes, such as marking it, <laughs> the admin and what have you, but broadly speaking, I like it. Right, right. You finished this book, obviously. It's, it's out now. How long does it take for you to let it go out of your mind um, and move on to something else, or is it does it does that happen straight away for you? Uh, well, I still, I still, I, it was funny when you were you were wondering about what Lee Southern might be doing now. I, mm. I, I still, I often find myself thinking about characters and what they might be doing, yeah. as though they're real people. Which, of course, if you live with someone for a year and you think about them a lot. You describe them and you follow them um, because, like I said, mostly my writing is an intuitive process. They're, I often feel like I'm being led by a character yeah. through a story. Uh, so I think about my characters quite a bit. But, you know, as, as most writers will tell you, by the time your book comes out, you're already working on something else. So you're deeply immersed in this whole other world with potentially completely different characters. So... Mm-hmm. Um, you're both kind of in and out of the of the story that is newly released. So True West's only been out, I think, for four or five days. So mm-hmm. I've been rereading it and thinking about it um, quite a bit. But uh, and I'll be thinking about Lee Southern whether he gets another go down the track, probably mm. for the rest of my life. Yeah, right. <laughs> what what can we expect next from you? I've got a um, I've got another um, Frank Swan crime novel. 
uh, coming out um, sometime in 2020. So Frank Swan is a West Australian private detective. Um, These novels are set in the 1970s and 1980s, looking at, again, looking at a pretty specific time in Western Australia where things were much more open. Um, this, This one is set largely in Fremantle, and it's to do with, you know, Fremantle is a port. It's to do with the, the long history through the 80s of American aircraft carriers and other naval vessels um, mooring in the port, which is something I remember as a kid. Um, so I've, I've built a, a crime story out of that. Right. Wonderful. Um, so as I said, True West is out now via Fremantle Press. Um, David Wish-Wilson, congratulations on, on your book. Best of luck with it. And it'll be wonderful to speak with you again uh, when the when the Frank Swan book comes out. I'll be most happy to do that. That would be fantastic. Can you can you leave us with a song? Yeah, okay. Look, um, how how about anything any I'll choose a West Australian band. How about anything by the scientists? Good who choice. I've been listening, who I've been listening to again um, just this last part this past year quite a bit. So anything by the scientists would be great. We'll dig something out for you. David, thank you so much. You're most
Lifehouse are designers of simple, serene buildings. We craft spaces and forms that are sympathetic to the environment in which we live and to the needs of our clients, that connect with the eye, mind and soul. Our firm of designers focus on the best energy-efficient outcomes, producing beautiful, unique buildings. Contact us to discuss your project. You can find us at lifehousedesign.com.au. Lifehouse Design, creating smaller footprints, award-winning passive solar design and a proud supporter of Main FM. No agenda. Music, interviews, mostly music. Saturdays, noon until 2pm on 94.9 Main FM. Make it your soundtrack for Saturday. Are you following me? Do you like me? Do you love me? Well, why don't you do all three on our Facebook page at Main FM and our Instagram page at 94.9 Main FM. And you can tell me what you really think of me. And maybe even share me with your friends. 94.9 Main FM. Share the love. You're listening to The Quiet Carriage on 94.9 Main FM. That was, ahead of those announcements, that was seminal post-punk Perth band, This Scientists, performing their song Swampland. And that was a request by author David Wish Wilson, who uh, we had a chat with about his new crime novel, True West, out now through Fremantle Press. Next up, we have Carmel Bird. Uh, She was on last week, last week's episode, reading an excerpt from her new novel, Field of Poppies out now via Transit Lounge, which she is launching at the Castlemaine Botanical Garden Tea Rooms this Sunday, November 24, from 2pm, where she will be in conversation with Main FM's own Suzanne Donisthorpe. All are welcome. Please do come along. And now ahead of that day, uh, the launch, and to give you a little bit of a taste of what to expect, here is Carmel Bird reading us one of her short stories. This story is called The Affair at the Ritz. You'll find that I read it in a slow, measured, knowing and sometimes melancholy voice. It's a quietly sinister story and the words hang in the air as the meaning sinks in. The narrator of this story is not human. It's a cockroach who has had elocution lessons. The inspiration for the story was a cockroach I killed in the bathroom of a fancy hotel in Sydney. Once upon a time. So here we go. The Affair at the Ritz. Speaking as a dying cockroach, I tell you, it is nice to have spiders and insects like you to talk to. My voice is faint and muffled, but I know you can hear me, and I sense your sympathy and kindness. I know you would help if you could... I am reasonably philosophical, but tonight has been almost too much for me. Tonight I have discovered that I am unable to face death calmly. I do not want to die. I have lived in this bathroom all my life, raised a large family, with hundreds of descendants all over the hotel. Two years ago I was Grandmother of the Year. 
We always have a huge reunion in the kitchen on Christmas Eve, and next time, well, next time I won't be there. I can't bear to think of it, the sea of shiny backs and handsome feelers, and I will never know it again. It's because I'm getting old, slowing down, that I'm in my present state. Once upon a time, I could anticipate a human visit to my bathroom even before the human thought of it. But tonight, she turned on the light and there I was, marooned on the tiles, halfway between the bath and the hand basin. She hated me with a radiant hatred. She must have realised I knew all about her, and she hated me for that. She was, of course, frightened of me too. As far as she's concerned, I am a creepy crawly. Whereas she, she wears satin lingerie and goes to the hairdresser twice a week. She's in town for a brief holiday with her husband. But I have learned to sum people up in no time. I've got her number and she damn well knows it. Her holiday consists of shopping and eating and drinking, going to the pool and the sauna and having massages. Once she had her horoscope done. Her husband tries every now and then to interest her in the theatre. They went to the ballet and the opera. She drew the line at experimental plays. I adore that kind of thing myself. You may have realised from my voice that I spent my teenage years studying elocution, speech and drama, that kind of thing. Once I went to the university in the pocket of a leather jacket and saw some students doing King Lear as flowers and vegetables. And another time I arrived at the opera house in a velvet handbag. I heard Joan Sutherland. Occasionally this woman goes out with her husband to humour him, but mostly her holiday consists of those little trips to the boutiques and the antique shops and then a drive to the beauty shop to have her nails done, then off to lunch. Food is her main topic of conversation, actually, what she has and has not eaten. She says she eats the salad and not the strawberry shortcake. I wonder sometimes about that. Her figure is beyond repair, beyond belief, and must surely frighten other people in the sauna. Oh, why was I so slow and stupid? I was having a lovely stroll along the green marble arabesques. When on goes the light and in she comes to cleanse her face, creams and lotions and moisturisers and all the rest of it. She is definitely not a good advertisement for Estee Lauder. Did I mention her boyfriend? He had just left, and she was moved to rush into the bathroom and remove her face. What happens is this. Husband goes to the opera by himself. Boyfriend arrives with flowers and wine. Lady and boyfriend laugh and drink and hop into bed. Boyfriend leaves taking empty bottle. Husband comes back. She says, oh, Frank and Julia sent some flowers. You see, I do know all about this woman. And she has done for me. We both stood still and looked at each other for quite a long time, like beasts in the jungle. But I, I was defenceless. She reached for her husband's spray can of shaving foam. She squirted a great white cloud of the stuff onto me so I could see nothing and I could barely move. Then I think she put a glass over me, slid a piece of cardboard under the glass. Trapped. 
She wrapped the whole thing up in a plastic shower cap, took out the glass, sealed the little parcel with a rubber band. And now I am in the rubbish tin, under the vanity unit, waiting to die. It is a comfort to have friends like you with whom to share my final moments. You are listening to 94.9 Main FM. That was Carmel Bird there with The Affair at the Ritz, a short story. And Carmel is launching her new novel, Field of Poppies, this Sunday, November 24, at the Tea Rooms right here in Castlemaine um, at the Botanical Gardens. And that's from 2 p.m. And she'll be in conversation with uh, Main FM's own Suzanne Donisthorpe. Uh, I'll be there, and please do come along. Um, I'd also like to thank those of you who came along to my own recent launch for my novella, Man Overboard. It's available now at Stowman's Bookroom and also online at the usual outlets. You can pick it up for a couple of, bu- couple of bucks on uh, ebook and also Kindle. Next week, something different, a new segment, uh, Author Retrospective. Now, there's a lot of authors I love and I'm sure you do too, and we can't have them on the show for one very good reason, and that's because they're no longer with us. So I'm hunting through the archives, and next week, bringing you an interview with someone who sadly passed this year, uh, author Tony Morrison. I'll also be catching up with the Wheeler Centre, that's the Melbourne Writers' Centre, to see what they have coming up this year, and also on into next year. Please join me. Next Friday, on The Quiet Carriage, from 1pm on 94.9 Main FM and also mainfm.net and on demand at mixcloud.com slash thequietcarriage. I've been your host, Paul J. Laverty, and I'll leave you now with the Dave Brubeck Quartet with their track, Take 5. Keep reading. Thank mm-hmm. you.
Moving can be stressful, but at Stressless Moves, we move your belongings like they're our own and can professionally pack and unpack your cartons. Stressless Moves offers door-to-door service locally or interstate. We do a weekly run to Melbourne with single items or a whole truckload. Leave the stress of moving to us. Call Jessica or Donna on 0427 046 001 for an obligation-free quote on your next move. Stresslessmoves.com.au, a proud sponsor of Main FM. Thompson Family Funerals, we pride ourselves on individual care and attention to every detail. Our family-run business has been operating professionally for over 60 years. We have provided help to people in our community in the time of need, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, since 1950. We understand that every life deserves to be honoured in accordance with your wishes. Ask us about natural burials and cremations or visit thompsonsfunerals.com.au for more information. A valued sponsor of Main FM. Coming at you from the red carpet, it's the inaugural Main FM Rogies. Get to the Wesley Hill Hall for live bands, World Turtle World, and Stop That Mammoth, Food Trucks and Bar. Entry is free and doors open at 5.30. The Main FM Rogies, happening December 7th. Head to mainfm.net to cast your vote.